This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. President Joe Biden has set off for Europe ahead of a vital NATO summit in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius, arriving in Britain on Sunday evening. Western allies, including Canada and Spain, have criticised his decision to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. Mr Biden defended his decision as, quote, difficult but necessary because, quote, the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. Cluster munitions release a large number of smaller bombs. Unexploded bomblets pose long-term risks to civilians. The head of France's central bank rejected suggestions that the European Central Bank should raise its 2% inflation target. François Villeroy de Galore, who sits on the ECB's governing council, said that such a move would only lead to higher rather than lower borrowing costs. He was speaking at an economics conference in France where the finance minister said there should be no, quote, taboos about discussing the subject. A court in Zimbabwe upheld a ban on a rally to launch an opposition party's campaign for the election in August. The gathering for the Citizens' Coalition for Change Party was to take place on Sunday. Emerson Managagwa, Zimbabwe's thuggish president, beat the CCC's candidate in 2018 in an election marred by alleged vote rigging. On Saturday, he held a rally attended by thousands. The French government has banned the sale, possession and transport of fireworks during the annual festival to mark Bastille Day on July 14th. Official celebrations will be exempt. Fireworks were often used during the days of violent rioting last month that followed the fatal shooting of a teenager by police in Nanterre, just west of Paris. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, returned home from a visit to Turkey accompanied by five commanders of the Azovstal Battalion. The men were captured by Russia after the siege of Maripol and later freed in a prisoner swap on condition that they stay in Turkey for the duration of the war. Russia accused Ukraine and Turkey of violating this agreement. At the end of her four-day trip to China, Janet Yellen, America's Treasury Secretary, said that her talks had been, quote, productive and had put relations between the two countries on a, quote, surer footing. She acknowledged a need to communicate clearly on their, quote, significant disagreements, but said it was possible for, quote, both of our countries to thrive. Economic decoupling would be, quote, disastrous, she added. In Georgia, organisers cancelled the main event of Pride Week, after thousands of far-right protesters stormed an event, waving the country's flag as they burned rainbow ones. Those attending were evacuated as rampages descended on the festival site, just outside the capital, Tbilisi, which they proceeded to tear apart. No one was hurt. And figure of the day, 10%, the percentage of Britons who attend rural shows each year. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. China's slowdown set to continue. Wait in for a big stimulus package from the Chinese government? Don't hold your breath. Economic activity is weakening. Industrial firms are receiving fewer overseas orders. 
the consumer binge that was supposed to follow the country's reopening to the world has not carried on as long as Beijing expected, but the official response to all this has been muted so far. Policymakers have cut rates and shown some support for the car industry. More infrastructure spending is likely, but all this is not enough to turbocharge the economy. Inflation data to be released on Monday will reflect the slowdown, with Chinese producers sitting on lots of spare capacity. Notes HSBC, a bank. Goods price disinflation is set to intensify after hitting a seven-year low of minus 4.6% year-on-year in May. Analysts believe the producer price index, which measures the prices of goods sold by manufacturers, will fall to minus 5%. The consumer price index, which tracks prices paid by consumers, is widely expected to remain flat at 0.2 percent, much like the growth prospects for the year. Sweden and Turkey continue to wrangle over NATO. Much rides on a meeting on Monday between Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Sweden's Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson ahead of the opening on Tuesday of a vital NATO summit in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius. NATO's Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg will try again to convince Mr. Erdogan to let Turkey's Parliament ratify Sweden's application to join the alliance. Turkey objects because it says Sweden hosts Kurdish and other dissidents it labels terrorists. Pressure has been mounting on Mr. Erdogan. He was unmoved by an American offer to sell Turkey warplanes in exchange for giving Sweden the green light. Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak spoke to Mr. Erdogan about Sweden on Friday, the same day he was visited in Istanbul by Vladimir Zelensky. The Ukrainian president was told that Turkey supports NATO expansion in theory to include Ukraine, for instance, but not Sweden. Mr. Stoltenberg just reappointed to lead NATO for another year. Will need all his powers of persuasion. More violence looms in the West Bank. It will not be hard to set an agenda. On Monday, the UN's Human Rights Council will hold one of its periodic discussions about the plight of the Palestinians. Some of it will surely focus on this month's Israeli army raid in Jenin in the occupied West Bank. The incursion, the biggest in the territory in two decades. Killed 12 Palestinians. Militants, according to Israel, wounded 100 and wrecked homes and infrastructure. One Israeli soldier was also killed. The Palestinian Authority, the limited self-governing body in the West Bank, has lost control of Jenin and other areas. Angry about endless occupation, some young Palestinians are keen to fight both Israel and the PA. This year is on course to be the deadliest since the early 2000s for both Israelis and Palestinians. Ministers in Israel's hard-right government have pushed for a bigger military operation. The UN's palavers rarely amount to much, but it's safe to say there will be more to come. Joe Biden meets King Charles. Poor Joe Biden. The English royal court is no longer as silly as it was. No longer, as in Tudor times, does a groom of the stool attend to the king in the toilet. But it is still quite silly. Protocol is complex and transgression easy. Michelle Obama was criticised for putting her arm around the Queen. Dwight Eisenhower was such a success, however, that the Queen sent him her recipe for drop scones. Mr. Biden will meet King Charles at Windsor Castle on Monday. What they will discuss is not clear, but it is also traditional to make much of little. This is the first time that Mr. Biden has met King Charles since he snubbed him by missing the coronation. The absence of an 82-gun salute has been noted. 
Mr. Biden's Irish Catholic mother hated the English and advised her son never to bow to the British monarch. Plenty of scope for catch-up or make-up. A fresh view of Eastern Europe. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has turned attention back to Eastern Europe. Eurocrats. Multinational lenders and NATO strategists have largely shared a glib view of this region as a single block, escaping the yoke of communism for an inexorable journey to join the West's institutions and follow its political models. But Goodbye Eastern Europe, a book published this week by Jacob Mikanowski, an American academic who was partly brought up in Poland, seeks to popularize another narrative. For Mr. Mikanowski, the region stands out not for its homogeneity but for wild, glorious diversity. More edgedly, he contends that communism was not an alien Soviet phenomenon but had deep roots. Ukraine itself exemplifies the diversity with a Russophone East and a post-Habsburg's West. And not for the first time in the region's history, a common struggle to defy annihilation is forging new social and psychological realities, which neither external nor domestic leaders are likely to be able to control. Daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us their connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Monday. Which US sitcom, which aired in the late 1970s and early 1980s, starred Danny DeVito, Judd Hirsch and Andy Kaufman? Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Jackie Fisher, who died on this day in 1920. Tact is insulting a man without his knowing it. That's the world in brief from the Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to the Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app to start listening. 